0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. I am Matthew Kane, and once again, I am joined by David Peterson. He's going to conclude his subject material from the last episode, episode 20, on the foundation of a family. If you missed that one, you will want to be sure to have a listen. Thanks for joining us again, David. Thanks for having me again, Matthew. Our pleasure, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in again to the Practicology Podcast. David, the first thing you taught us in the last episode— well, maybe the second thing after reminding us not to get First John 4, 18, confused with John four eighteen, was that while there were so many things that were good in the original creation, one thing that was not good was that the man was alone.
1: That's right. So God provided him a companion that could not be found in the animal creation, but the companionship and help of a woman who was both like him, yet different from him.
0: Yeah, and you helpfully pointed out that her being created as a help to the man doesn't minimize her worth at all. God himself is called a helper many times in Old Testament scriptures.
1: Yeah, so different roles and responsibilities in marriage should not compromise their equality of worth or hinder their love and respect for one another.
0: Excellent. Okay. Then you looked at Genesis 2, verses 21 to 23, where God brings the woman to the man and how Adam expressed his appreciation for this gift from God. This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Then we touched on a few specific practical examples of how husbands and wives can express appreciation for one another in their marriages. That's at the end of the previous episode. If you want to catch that again. Now, there's a little bit of a recap, David. We got to move into our final lesson now to give some fresh material here. You've got two more verses at the end of Genesis 2. What do you have for us there?
1: Well, let's look at those verses then. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. And in them, we see a new family being formed, a new family. Verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is how a family is formed according to God's word. This is how a marriage is formed by the union of one man and one woman. And then the design of the marriage relationship is described with more detail. The Bible describes it as a predominant relationship. Now, when we come to verse 24, Moses is speaking as Adam did not have a father and mother to leave. And Moses writes that a man shall leave his father and mother to cleave unto his wife, so that the marriage relationship is predominant, not the parent-child relationship. God brought a woman to Adam to create a new family. He did not bring Adam a man, nor a child, but a woman. And I cannot stress this enough, that the formation of a family consists of one man and one woman united in marriage.
0: Yeah, that is so important uh, for various reasons. I know some parents may find it very difficult to let their child go in that new family unit. Unit. Uh, I'm very thankful uh, in our lives. Uh, our parents have been very supportive, yet certainly respected our freedoms as well. But there is more than one marriage that has struggled due to a failure of or a failure of both of the partners to leave their father and mother, isn't there?
1: Yes, that's certainly correct. And it's sad when it happens. It's wise for parents uh, of a newly married couple to make sure they allow this new family to form in a healthy way. Also, some husbands expect their wives to replace their mothers or to treat them like mommy did. You know, the wives do all the work while they play with their now more expensive toys where they go out at night to play with their now older friends. So that is certainly a danger that we want to avoid. So again, the marriage relationship is a predominant relationship. So it's, it's a predominant relationship. It's also a permanent relationship. God intends this relationship to be permanent. Verse 24 again says that a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. The word cleave means to be glued to something. It means that you are stuck with each other, and that's good. After Jesus quoted this text in Matthew 19, he added, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is built upon a covenant commitment, not romantic feelings. Proverbs 2.17 speaks about marriage being a covenant made before God. It is intended to be permanent.
0: Now, when you say, David, that it's it's not built upon romantic feelings, are you opposed to romance in a dating and marriage relationship?
1: Absolutely not. I hope it is there. It ought to be there. But love is a choice, and that's something we've been taught uh, repeatedly down through the years, isn't it?
0: excellent point. And where there is that loving commitment, the romantic feelings will usually very quickly arise themselves.
1: Yeah, very true. All right, keep going. So it's a permanent permanent relationship. It's also a monogamous relationship. Verse 24 says, the man shall cleave unto his wife, singular, not wives, plural. When this was first written, it was countercultural. Men in multiple cultures throughout the world had multiple wives, but monogamy is God's design one man and one woman for life. Now, sometimes we're turning through the pages of the Old Testament and we see that even some of God's people had more than one wife. God tolerated polygamy in Old Testament times, but it was not his original intention. Fact, whenever you see polygamy in the Bible, you see problems, sometimes big problems. But God gave one woman to Adam. Marriage is to be a monogamous relationship. But marriage is also to be an intimate relationship. The end of verse 24 says, They shall be one flesh. The expression one flesh gives us the, the image of shared flesh. And that's what Adam says when he wakes up and God presents her to him. He says, she is flesh of my flesh. This illustrates the complete bond of marriage. All that affects the one person affects the other. When you say something hurtful to your spouse, you're hurting yourself. It's one flesh. You're one flesh. Now, the phrase also emphasizes the sexual union, which is always more than just physical. It's built on relational and emotional oneness. Sexual harmony must be built on the foundation of a predominant, permanent, and monogamous relationship that is growing in trust, communication, and oneness. And now the last verse. Verse 25 says, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were were not ashamed. There was no shame, but complete openness, trust, security. And by the way, the the consummation of a marriage is referred to in scripture as a man knowing his wife. It is an intimate relationship.
0: Yeah, really, really good points there, David. Thank you. Particularly the statement that the phrase one flesh, while it emphasizes the sexual union, but that sexual union actually involves more than just a physical union. For the sexual relationship to be successful, if I could use that phrase, when I say successful, I mean for it to provide the joy and unity God intended in creating that gift, there must be a genuine relational and emotional connection too. So this is a really worthwhile practical point to emphasize in our Practicology podcast. You can't treat your partner disrespectfully and think that isn't going to affect the intimacy that you desire.
1: That's absolutely true. And I think to an extent, we've all experienced that reality. I I confess I've been guilty of this myself. I've said something insensitive or hurtful to my wife. Sometimes it's unintentional and yet other times intentional. The result of it is avoidance, silence, coldness. Intimacy is definitely affected by such behavior. Let me encourage all my married brothers out there that when this does happen, and it it will, when there is conflict of any kind, that we as husbands take the initiative to make things right, because that's what love does, and we are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love takes the initiative, and that principle is, is seen in God himself, who who loved us and, and acted, right? Romans 5 and 8 says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative when there was sin, when there was a problem in the relationship.
0: Wow, thanks, David. That is uh, very, always very pertinent and a, a really good practical reminder for all of us. Okay, so our Creator God's design for the new family involves a predominant relationship, a permanent relationship, a monogamous relationship, an intimate relationship. Anything else?
1: Yes, and I I just hinted at it a moment ago. The last thing I want to say is that the marriage relationship is a pictorial relationship. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, about husbands and wives and he says this for this reason a man will leave his father and mother he's he's quoting genesis 2 here for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh and then listen to what he says this mystery is great but i'm actually speaking with reference to christ and the church the the marriage relationship is meant to be a picture of the relationship of christ and his bride, the church. And all those previous points are applicable here. It is a predominant relationship. It's the most important of all relationships in the mind of God who has prepared a bride for his son. It's predominant. It's permanent. We belong to Christ, and he belongs to us forever. Nothing or no one will ever be able to separate us from him. It's permanent. It's monogamous, supposed to be. We're to be faithful to him alone, rather than loving the world and the things of the world. James tells us something about that, doesn't he? And he speaks about when we do love the world, he refers to us as adulterers and adulteresses, right? We are to be faithful to Christ alone, rather than loving the world and the things of it. It's a monogamous relationship, and it is an intimate relationship. We grow in our love for Christ, and we grow closer to him every day. So marriage is a pictorial relationship of Christ and the church, and the world around us needs to see this picture. If, if they don't see it in us, there's nowhere else to look.
0: That's excellent. There's so much in that, David. I was hoping you would develop that picture somewhere in your study with us. So thank you for that. Because, uh, well, I know we're in a brief podcast episode here, but the profundity of that Ephesians 5 paragraph is remarkable. It always stuns me. And I wonder if you could just tease it out a touch further. You say the world needs to see this picture, that is marriage, as a picture of Christ in the church. Well, what exactly do they need to see in our lives? I mean, They may have never heard that marriage pictures Christ in the church. They may be ignorant of the church. So what precisely are we supposed to show them that will be meaningful to them?
1: Okay, great question. So two things here, one for husbands and one for wives. Husbands are commanded in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that's a tall standard. It's a high standard and we can't honestly meet that standard as he showed to us but as we submit to the holy spirit we can love our wives and 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 sacrifice for them when husbands obey this command and display selfless sacrificial love for our wives the world sees a picture of christ who selflessly and sacrificially gave himself for us on the cross the world will see the gospel on display when we fulfill our responsibility as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So that's, that's for the husbands. But then for the wives, they are commanded in the same text, Ephesians 5, but now verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. So when wives obey the command to submit to their husbands, people are intended to see the church's willing submission to the authority of Christ the church is made up of Christ's followers and we should submit to his authority how by obeying his word by obeying his word and the world needs to see Christ's followers obeying his word and this is pictured in the marriage relationship
0: that's very good self sacrificial love a joyful obedience, a joyful family union is a, a wonderful testimony to the power of the gospel. Uh, you spoke in the last episode about um, not just restricting ourselves to publicly praising our spouses, but to make sure that we're doing it in private. And then I also think, um, you know, when there when there are disputes, as they do sometimes arise, hey, make sure that you don't carry that out. In the public sphere and how we speak about one another. Sometimes it may just be uh, intended as a bit of a joke or sarcasm, but it can be very hurtful. And mm-hmm. we want to be mindful of not tearing one another down um, publicly. Of course, you don't want to tear one another down privately either. But be careful how you speak about your spouse publicly. Let it let it come from that self sacrificing, loving, committed heart. Mm-hmm. David, thanks so much for these two episodes. We appreciate it. We'd love to have you back on another subject sometime. Thanks very much for joining us and all that
1: you've shared with us. Thank you, Matthew. It's been a privilege to be with you. I'd be I'd be willing to come back anytime.
0: And to our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. We hope you have a great day and tune in again next time to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. May the Lord bless you today.